and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond. I've read every book in the main series. However, my co-hosts are reading the series for the first time. With me today is my friend and closest confidant, India Jones. Hello. Um, our producer, AJ Faleri. Hello. And he is my crystal, Joshua Baker. Aw. That's right. I can't heal you, and I'm a fucking fraud. Um, well, Chris, Crystals, uh, baby. Crystal slam. Damn, um, dude. Really taking crystals down a peg. Um, how are you, you guys feeling? How are we doing today? My, I get me my, right. al- my allergies are bad, but that's boring. That's not good radio. So I guess, I I guess mean, I'm feeling a little groggy because it is the first day of daylight savings time. So we did lose an hour of sleep last night here in the States. All right. We should have just got straight into it. This is. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is your fault. We are uninteresting people. <laughs> I'm All reading right. this great book. Today, we're starting book six. The Bone Hunters, and we're reading the prologue in the first three chapters. So uh, let's just get straight into it. Prologue. In Cartool, a young sergeant named Hellion hates spiders. She takes her city guard to the Temple of Drek, recalling the Worm of Autumn and its worshippers. She also thinks on the Malazan's long occupation of the island. At the Grand Temple, she is greeted by Banashar, who says they must break into the temple. When they break down the doors, they see a terrible slaughter has occurred. Helene quickly realizes Banashar has disappeared. The sergeant is certain that her and her squad will soon be sent across the sea to join one of the many Malazan armies. Dejim Nebral, a diver's created and bound by Desimbaklis, is being freed from its prison. The Nameless Ones begin their ritual. Eleven of them and Sister Spite are to free the creature for some unknown end. As he rises, a slaughter begins. Far away, Tarlac Veed watches a dragon rise from the slaughter and waits for it to be over. Then he sets off to track the creature. In a small town in seven cities, the blacksmith Barathal Makar gathers his weapons. Five Talani Mass come to town, and I'll face them alone. Okay, so the prologue is starting, and we start on the Isle of Cartool with a young sergeant. There's some spiders, the Worm of Autumn. India, the book opens up, and we meet Sergeant Hellion. What's your first impression of her, and how are you feeling cracking open book six? I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I was a little nervous in the prologue when I didn't really know anyone, but then um, all my friends came back in chapters mm-hmm. one, two, and three, which was exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, picking up right where we left off, which was even more exciting. And as for Hellion, you, we all know I love a strong female character, especially with her vices. And <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really liked her. I think that she's sassy. She's spunky. Um, she seems a little out of it sometimes. She's just trying to get through her life, terrified of giant spiders, which is horrifying. This sized. Can I I tell you, that was the funniest thing I've read in a long time, was her trying to be like, well, where can I go? Boats? Spiders. The roads? Spiders. Here? Spiders. At least I know them. (laughs) You're a lunatic. Yeah. With that said, though, I no idea what that's what this whole situation was setting us up for so fascinating and those are my first thoughts yeah i guess we'll see 
Odds, Josh, any takeaways from that part of the prologue? I have one, and that is I have developed a newfound skill. And that's, What's that? That skill is I read the prologue, and then I go, well, that'll matter later. And then it's gone. I let it go, <laughs> and I remember none of it. <laughs> it's like a magic trick. Yeah. Pro- probably a good investment. I Because I, I like, read all the things, him. and I was just like, I have like broad, like, you know, strokes of what happened, and I have a couple names that are like, you know, deep in there, but I'm like, they're going to come up when they come up. I don't need to find a connection yet. <laughs> yeah, maybe all that right. memory will unlock when I read that name again. We'll see. Yeah. Full of carry a moment. Also, real quick, is there. I have noticed a pattern. Every even book so far in the series, we have taken place on seven cities. Is that going to continue happening? Are eight and ten also here? And it was all along con by Steve. Half I have the no comment. I have no comment. AJ, um, <laughs> what is Dejim Nabral? And are you down to clown with this divers? Um, I don't know what Dejim Nabral is, but I did fuck with that scene very hard. That scene is so cool. Just I like think, I, I think the scene's really great how there's like the 12 different people and it's like right. building through them. It's like the first person, the second person, Don, Don, Don. And then, like, ah, oh man, just. Yeah, I I loved that part of it going through all the 12 people. They're all doing their own separate thing to like help with this ritual or whatever. But I love that Dejim Nabral was our POV mm. because it really illustrated what each Warren did mm-hmm, <laughs> in a way mm-hmm. that I that was like more clear than any other of the books have been, um, except like Omtos Falak is ice. And like that's the, um, but yeah, it was like, you know, mind, body, spirit, whatever. Like it's very, very good stuff. I was big into it, but. Uh, as as far as Dejim Nabral as a character, we will see. Our powers combined, we summon Dejim Nabral. India, what do you think Sister Spite's doing there? What the hell was that about? I don't know. What what <laughs> is she doing there? And then and then she's like, and like I'm not ready to die. I know they're all gonna die, but I'm just gonna when when the when it's when it's yeah. all over, I'm just gonna cut out of here. So I don't know what she's doing there. I don't even is she a dragon she can be oh is she the soul taking dragon that left maybe yeah. i spoiled it i don't know no, I I sister, no, sister she, had, spite. she had a little red scaly hand oh I, so we don't yeah. know what oh we don't know what oh, i didn't catch that i thought dejim nabral was the oh but he can't be because he's a diver so he's gonna be multiple things doesn't he oh so we don't India's, know yet india came out on top today she did, yeah. she did. Wow. i didn't catch that nice momentous what a way to kick off the season Um, yeah and josh the prologue ends with we're in this desert town and we meet barathol metcar what did you make the blacksmith i loved this silly scene because i have no clue why on earth it could matter and it's it's very fantasy are are there there were like a bunch of talon they didn't seem like they were bone people so have we met some talon that are not bony right now I don't Do you know, mean some IMAS that are not bony? Yeah, have we met any IMAS that were not like bone people? Just uh, Tool's sister. Tool, yeah, and now Tool looks like that. And too. now Tool, yeah, yeah. Okay, I loved that though. I was like, I don't understand. Do you know what it felt very much like? It was very. It reminded me of the first episode, of season two of The Mandalorian. That little desert town. I don't know. It's just like small town. There's like one dude who's just kind of like the resident badass when necessary. Although he was a secret badass, which was. I don't know. I like so it. a quote I loved in this in this opening with Barathol is they're kind of describing this town and how it's just like in nowhere in seven cities and how it's kind of just been 
untouched by this rebellion and mm-hmm. everything. And there's this line that says, in any case, rebellions were for other people, you know? And I think it's really... I kind of love the line because it shows how like time is persisting and everyday life persists even through like these historical events. Do you mean like even as this continent's in rebellion, there are people who just like, you know, are passing the time, are doing their job. It's like that scene in Midnight Tides where we we end the the freezing of the demon or whatever, and it's just these two people having dinner on oh, their, yeah. their balcony and you know proposing. Like it's you know, everyday life persists mm-hmm. <laughs> despite yeah. all the crazy shit happening. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we saw almost none of that in the uh, in in Deadhouse Gate. We saw all like the atrocities of the rebellion, but like now we're seeing that like well those were like very specific moments of that time and that was not the case everywhere and i think that's really interesting no i would just like to say uh in regards to that barathol scene i was like man mekhar sounds super familiar mekhar is like really ringing some bells oh uh, yeah and then when we started when we started the next chapter i was like ah kalam mekhar is his name i uh, didn't so catch that related wow. to kalam some way wow Wow, and Kalam is from Seven Cities, the continent, and this guy, they uh-huh. were like, they were like, oh, he's from the south part of the continent. Oh, man, I didn't catch that. India, I'm watching your eyes right now. Are you Googling? You go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going into the, I was going into our document to read where that uh, name came up. I, I did not catch that. This time. Man, you guys are on fucking pew, fire pew, today. Pew, pew, pew. I'm also, Josh, my brain is all over the place because I just listened to like all of Gardens of the Moon in a oh, week. Oh, yeah, true. And I've been reading this book. And so my brain is like tuned in. You're, to a, mo- you're a monster. <laughs> you're plugged into the mainframe. Yeah. All right. Any other, any, any other thoughts about the <laughs> prologue before we uh, k- kick the can down the road? Nope. All right. Chapter one. Absalar enters the city of Erlatan by night and she finds herself a tavern. Far across the desert, Leoman and the Last Rebellion flee pursuit. Leoman speaks with Korab about seven cities and its reoccupation by the Malazan. A witch named Samar Dev is injured in a wagon when she is stumbled upon by Karsa Orlong. They quickly agree to travel to the city of Ugarat together. In her room, Absalar thinks of Cutter and Sorrow. After mentioning she is a shadow dancer to the barkeep, she heads out into the city to do Cotillion's work. A Pardu woman follows her, observing her for a hidden master. Absalar walks into the shadow warren and finds two corpses of Tisti. She speaks with the shades, Tellerest and Kirtle. She agrees to free them. Leoman's army stops for water and food. Leoman and Crab speak about the army disbanding, the Book of Drajna, an impossible victory. Karsa and Samar Dev arrive at the city together, where after an exchange with the gate captain, Karsa is allowed in. Reputation of Shaikh's Toblakai has reached the city. They speak of a nearby Malazan garrison under siege. Karsa says that the rebellion is over that Leoman rides his own path, and that Carcel will ride out to break the siege against the Malazan garrison. Absalar goes to the Genrab, an ancient building at the heart of the city, 
Here she continues to speak with the Shades, who says they once actually knew the goddess Absalar. As she gets closer to the target of Cotillion's task, she finds that it has already been completed. Mebra has been killed. She then is ambushed, and she kills her attackers. It was all the work of the Nameless Ones. Tellerist and Kirtle decide to stay with Absalar, even if it upsets someone named Edgewalker. Kirtle wants her thrown back. Guys, slipping into chapter one was like just such a nice, cozy blanket of familiarity for me in this series. It was so nice. Oh my god, that's like, <laughs> we. I kind of want to just blast through the prologue to get to this point, which is really how I feel like I wanted to start the conversation. And I just got to say, picking up this book was like just mm-hmm. a cool glass of water. It's yeah. like, oh yes, yeah. all the characters I know, yeah. we've been reading about them. I remember picking up a book where the story left off, you know? Mm-hmm. Just feels great. Can I also, can I say real quick before we get into like specific things, um, while reading this, it occurred to me how good Steve is at, you know, I don't know how to put it, but like the tone of the people in Midnight Tides, like the tone of the Tist, like the way the Tisti Eater, all of their actions, and then the Lethari people being ruled by like the singular vice of greed. Like, it didn't occur to me just how kind of, how pervasive like negative emotions kind of felt in the way they spoke in the things they did i don't know and then and then in this one it's so much more kind of chaotic feeling and in some way it was less it it made me let feel less oppressive about everything going on i don't know i just really feel like the tone is so vastly different in like all of the characters and how they act and speak between these two books I don't know if that's just me, but just from three chapters, I was like, it's it, there. It's completely different styles of writing. It felt like. Yeah, I feel like in this book, it I'm like, oh, people are talking to each other. Where in Midnight Tides, I was like, ah, I'm watching a Shakespeare play. Yes, like- <laughs> yes. It's so different. Yeah. Which uh, I want to ask, Josh, you kind of mentioned it, that we're back on Seven Cities. And I know you're not always a Seven Cities fan. How did you feel to be back on the continent? I'm actually incredibly excited because I feel like we're finally like mom and dad have finally let us come out of the 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 three-year-old and under section of the playground and now we get to get on the big slide in the real swings and you know there's a jungle gym that's how i feel because like in the in the second and fourth book we're like especially in the fourth book we are hyper constrained by her with with a lot of our characters as to where they're going and the second one as well like because there's such a frantic pace in everything that happens with the second and fourth book that i feel like we don't get to just kind of live in the cities or in the actual environment and so far, in only three chapters, I feel like I've learned so much about Seven Cities and the the various places in it, and I'm and I love it. Very into we're, it. We're like walking around. We're talking to people. Yeah, you know? it's 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 crazy. You know, there isn't this tension of imminent rebellion, and it almost feels nice. Crazy. And to build on what you said about Midnight Tides, and then we should move on. Like Midnight Tides, in contrast, almost every scene is people not communicating well with each other and b- misunderstanding each other. Yes, you know. But let's uh, let's stay on let's stay on purpose here. So, uh, Inge, the chapter opens, and we'll get to Absalar in a sec. But we catch up with Leoman, who's in the desert fleeing with what's left of the rebel army. What do you think is going to become of him? And the, the book of Drajna. Why 
If you can refresh my memory quickly, why is he separated from his demon? Leonin? Was that not? He never had a that's demon. Laoric. Laoric. That's Laoric. Laoric. Yeah, yeah. Shit. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, what do I think is going to happen? I don't know. I don't know what the hell even. To be honest, when I think about his character and like what happened, I blanked. So reading this part was just kind of like, okay, um, I don't remember any of these people and mostly Leo, but now I kind of do now that we're talking about it again, but I have no idea. I don't, I have a feeling they're going to have to meet up with someone at some point and something's going to happen, but I, it's honestly too soon to tell for me. Mm. But do you like, I think when we were reading House of Chains, I think there was some skepticism about Leoman or I don't know. I There was definitely an energy this show had about him. And I wonder where you feel about Leoman now, AJ. Honestly, I so just this book in general coming into chapter one, I'm like, ah, oh, yes, I know these characters, blah, blah, blah. But simultaneously, I'm like, man. I don't have a fucking clue Mm -hmm. what happened in House of Chains. Like, I don't remember anything. Um, So like this chapter and part of the next chapter was just me kind of like hanging out with friends and just like, hey, what have you been up to? I don't remember. Um, (laughs) So I I mean, I think think the book kind of works well in that way. I feel like it's like offering you a friendly hand. These first few chapters, there's definitely there was at least one part where where a character is like, ah, yes, this happened explicitly. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay, cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um. But no, I, I, if I feel bad for Leoman, um, from, from what I can remember about him from House of Chains, he was always kind of just like a smart person, but, well, and, you know, caught in the, yeah. In, in House of Chains, like he fully duped not only the characters in the book, but the readers, because the dude was just high or appeared to be high 24 seven and was just mm. kind of biding his time. Um, and I feel like that's for me, I was fully tricked by that for a long time. So I was a little annoyed with him because I, because everyone's like, he's cold iron. He's so smart, but he's in a pit high all day. I don't really know how to take that, you know? Um, mm. And I am very excited to see him be much more. He's no longer reactive. Like he was very reactive in the fourth book. And I feel like now he is the one making the decisions and he is going to be causing the conflicts rather than just kind of, you know, zigging and zagging according to what else is happening. I I more feel bad because I feel like he's going to wind up like killing Korab or something because Leoman's so like off the Dreisner train and Korab's like, nah, dude, it's fine. No, I think I I don't don't know if he's going to kill Korab. I think Korab's with him until he dies. Also, Korab, new favorite character. Korab's around, baby. I've loved Korab since he blew himself up with the helmet. That was true. I forgot about him. I just like... That's all I think about. If if every Korab scene ends with him being like, all right, time to get high while I eat a toad. Yeah, dude. I'm I'm a happy man. Such a great... There's the Leoman of the feathers. Yeah, the the whole feathers thing where as he talks, it just gets more and more like birds. Uh, He says the sentence. He's like, that's going to get you high. And he's like, it's fine. I I love it. Except the feathers. And I was immediately like, I see where this is going. (laughs) I I was like, I've been there. (laughs) We get it. Feathers. (laughs) So, uh, Josh, Shaikh's uprising has, like, been ended, right? So, like, they're talking about Malazan reoccupation of the continent and then spreading imperial reign. So, like, setting aside the stakes we had in Felicin as a character, how do you feel now that the Malazans are reoccupying seven cities? You know, it's a weird area because we talked with Steve after the fourth book about, like, the very complicated nature of imperialism and all of the good and bad that it entails. And right now, we are definitely seeing 
a lot of talk about the good of it, you know? Like, oh, stability brings in commerce, so the, the traders are very happy. In the prologue, they're like, those damn Malazans, now we can't beat the cripple to death and murder criminals in the streets, you know? And hmm. I was, or, 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 and the, the young vagrant children can't kill dogs. I, so like, it was very yeah. like, okay, those all seem like, un. I don't like those things. I can't say I know your culture very well, but me as an outsider, I don't like killing dogs in the street. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm actually very curious to see if we're going to see like the, the, all the other side of things where like Malazan's kind of move, you know, encroaching too far, uh, ending things that are like, you know, that are really important to the people at Seven Cities. I don't know. Uh, we're definitely seeing a very Malazan focused like it feels very propaganda-y how much like what we're seeing right now of their of their retaking of the continent so i'm mm -hmm. excited to see if there's a an underside to this i agree with that last thing you said and how do you feel about the malazans reoccupying honestly i'm not mad at it they seem to be quite in need of a little bit of help you can't stone dogs you can't kill people for sacrifices so by by they're in need of a little help do you mean they were in need of being colonized I, <laughs> is that what you were I, you know um i'm not a huge fan of colonization however in this okay. case however <laughs> <laughs> this is the crazy way to start a sentence <laughs> not, in this I'll case, go, I, i'm listening inge i'm listening i think i might be here for it we'll see what happens but anything's gotta oh be better than what they were doing i respect their culture for though. who though <laughs> the, the better for who better for everyone better for everyone interesting <laughs> interesting I want, the next time the next time we have one of these chats we're gonna see a poster in india's room and it just says colonization better for everyone and she's gonna <laughs> Totally gone off the deep end. Yeah. Colonization, a notorious win-win type of thing. I think that should be our next shirt. <laughs> Fucking Christ. <laughs> um, I don't know. AJ, you got a strong... No, I, I pretty much come from where Josh is. Like, there, it, it does feel very propaganda-y, where it's like, oh, all this stuff is great that the Malazans are bringing. And even if it's not like, oh, this is great, it's, it's to us living in like a you know the united states or whatever it's like ah yes Order. this is adjacent to our society now because because it feels like um in the last book we see like that was the exact same thing the letheri say you know they're like it's better for these uncivilized people for us to come in and help and we see that it like literally crushes civilizations now they're very different from the malazan empire and the, the malazan empire is really how, how are they very different the Malazan Empire is explicitly pitched to us in this series as coming in, changing as few local customs as possible to fit in with like the whole Malazan ethos and then leaving the rest to to what it originally was. I'm not saying that they are 100 percent good at it, but that is like they, they are on the record as that is what they do. Sure, I guess I just feel like the Malazan Empire still involves a lot of killing people, making them a colony, and taking all of their money. Well, mean? remember, so, if they just surrendered in the first place, they wouldn't have died. Ah, uh, exactly. <laughs> God. Exactly. That's our second t-shirt. Yeah. Fucking Christ. <laughs> this is... The, I, I didn't think I was going to be the one out of three of the four of us on it, but... <laughs> um, so let's let's keep it rolling. Um, Aj, we uh, catch up with Karsa, mm. and he's in the desert. He meets Samar Dev, and they they have some stuff. We'll talk about Samar in a bit, but mm -hmm. 
now that House of Change is over, which is a book that had Karsa kind of as a major through line in it, where do you think Karsa's going from here and what do you expect out of him? Man, I mean, I feel like it's just going to be like regardless of what's happening in the story, Karsa is always going to be his own storyline until until he like, you know, dips into the main storyline, kills some fools and then dips back out and goes and does his own thing again. And I think really where we caught him in House of Chains just happened to be where he was dipping into everybody else's story. Uh, And now we're going to catch him where he like, you know, he lives most of the time, which is just like doing his own thing. But I, I liked I, lo- I loved all their his sections. Uh, I love Sam Ardev, how she's a, a, a witch and also made a uh, made a carriage that moves with your arms and then it broke and then the man died. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, wow, wow, this is great. I am like all in on this storyline. The stuff that happens in the later chapters is so good, but I really am having a hard time seeing how it's going to come back into the main storyline. Two things. One, we actually haven't seen Samar do magic, right? We've just seen her be really smart so far. Uh, I think in the town they go to, they they talk about her being with the other witches, I think. I just like there's Maybe a part not. of me that wants her to not be ma- good at magic and just really smart. And they're like yeah. a smart woman. witch. <laughs> and because that, that, that's because in a world that irrefutably has magic, that's fucking funny. Yeah. To me. And second thing, I feel like I, I, AJ to go off your Carsa thing. I really feel like his. I I would love if in the next five books, Carsa just continually does a thing, and then like the the consequences of that are like mm. twelve chapters later, and it's yeah. just like, damn, why Carsa? Yeah. I feel like that's yeah. like he's just like a force in the world. Like he's no longer a character; he is yeah. a force. All right, Inge, let's get to, I would say, the, I wouldn't, maybe the meat of the chapter. It's definitely like the biggest, most familiar face. We meet Apsilar first. She's like a nameless woman in the city. And then we have this whole section with her. She meets these two ghosts and um, she's alone in Erlatan. She doing this thing for Cotillion. Now that she struck out her on her own, how do you think she'll be by herself? I love her so much. I love her so much. I was so excited. I did not know that she was the nameless woman. And then and then she was. And I was thrilled and excited and happy. I'm happy she's alone. Crocus Cutter was so annoying, just holding her back from greatness, as men do. And <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that she's going to be great on her own. She's like kind of sad girl right now, but she's going to be fine. She doesn't really know what's going on, I feel, which is like kind of annoying. Like she's just kind of like doing things, but not really knowing the reasons behind them, obviously, for whoever she's working for, Cotillion. Mm. So and then having some of his memories, which is like weird. But like, I think that she's thriving in her own right. And I love the little shadow people that she found. I have no idea what they're doing or what they're up to, but they are hilarious. I think that they are going to be such a good team all together eventually when they start to be friends, which will happen. And yeah, I was just, I was so excited. This is the Absalar that I always wanted. And now I have her. I think your point had something really true because in 
the books previous to this, of course, she's an, a, a main character, I would say, but we're usually observing her through other people's lens. Do you mean it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. we're the bridge burners who are like, what's this weird girl here? What's she, mm-hmm. what's her deal? And then we're Crocus Asider in Dead House Gates. And then, you know, she st- keeps traveling in these parties. But here, finally, she's alone and kind of enters onto the stage in her Center own right, stage. you know, mm-hmm. mm. and she yeah. has two yeah. beefy sections in both chapters one and three. She's on her whole quest, mm-hmm. baby. I'm obsessed. I have a question. I... Do you think that they're calling her a ghost or they thought that she was a ghost for a reason in that chapter? They're like, you're not, you're a ghost. I'm not a ghost. You're a ghost. And she's like, I'm not a ghost. You're a ghost. Or is it just funny? A, that is an impossible question because Tellerast and Curdle are insane. It is impossible to say. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're up to something. Uh, I, I don't know. I think at that I point it was just a goof and they were just being weird, but I, I just don't know. I, I love when they uh, call her quick, not quick, Absalar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that's very good. Um, can I just quick question? How old is Absalar right now? My guess is like when we were describing the nameless woman, I was like, this seems like that's too old to be Absalar. It's, uh, she just see. Oh, man. Interesting. Also a weird thing in the nameless woman section. I get I, I guess Absalar's never heard of gay people. Because there's a weird remark where she's like, all the guards are men, so they're distracted by me. Would have been bad if there was a woman around, you know? I don't know. What's going on? Do you mean? Yeah. It confounded me. Have we we met an openly gay character in the series? Uh, yeah, we have. Yeah, so. Okay. But. Your response makes me think that we don't know yet that, I don't know. No, you have. I mean, Tavor's gay and, you know. Oh, duh. Fuck me. (laughs) <laughs> Main ass character. Yeah. Anyways, uh, any anything? Uh, any other hot hot takes on this section out of my other two co-hosts? Uh, she just travels the Warren of Shadow now. That feels like. Yeah. I don't know. I really feel like the characters in this series are getting more and more laissez-faire with like maybe that's not the right word, but more and more just kind of like okay with just fucking with Warrens in ways that I'm like, are you sure? This feels like it could go bad pretty quick. Especially mm. since no one still seems to understand how they work exactly. Mm. No, I feel like it, I mean, we, we've, well, we've I already seen there's point, repercussions. Yeah, I think at this point she's so hitched to Cotillion's wagon. She's just like, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to be Cotillion. I'm just going to play the, you know, wait, assassin wait, god. What do you, what do you, what do you, like, what, what, my... what do you mean hitched to Cotillion's wagon? He says where to go and who to kill and she does it. Right. She's an assassin. She can travel through the Shadow Warren just like Cotillion. I mean, I imagine Cotillion can do way more. But like, you know, if Cotillion were this were doing his own job, he would be doing it this same way, just traveling through shadows and doing this stuff. So I think she's just like, oh, well, this is how it needs to be done. So this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What do you take issue? Mm-hmm. I, I, you don't think she's like following orders, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. That's what I thought she was doing. Yeah, I have no I have no comment. I um, fully feel like when when they were all on the island and Cotillion was like, well, I mean, you could leave or you could stay with Crocus. And she was like, you know, made that decision or whatever. And the decision was like, oh, well, I'll just work for you. Like, I don't feel like that was at the sh- Temple of Shadow. Come on, AJ. <laughs> yeah, well, that whole that whole thing, too. When we get there, I'm like that whole part left my brain. I had no idea what was happening. Anyway, I was like, fuck. A- 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 anyway, I drove the show into a tree. Inch, uh, we briefly talked about Samar Dev earlier. You have any big Samar Dev impressions? Very, um, not really. I'm intrigued, but I, um, have, I, I don't know. I think that she seems interesting. I guess Secret Witch didn't see that coming. Um, yeah. yeah. 
So to, to round out our discussion of chapter one, AJ, who are the nameless ones mm. and what are they up to? <laughs> Come on. I don't know. <laughs> I literally I have no idea. I really wasn't expecting them to show back up in the book outside the prologue. And I really wasn't expecting them to show back up in chapter fucking one, because now I feel like, oh, I have to know what they're doing. <laughs> and I just do not. I have no idea. They killed Mebra, everyone's favorite character. Sure. Sure. Who's Mebra? Sure. We've met Mebra. What the fuck was Mebra doing? I don't know what's going on. He's in, both, no. he's in books two and four. He's the Fuck, one who really. He, he's the one who gives Kalam Kalam the uh, the book of Drajna, and then sells him oh. out immediately to the Red Blades, which we then find out is exactly what happened. And then in the fourth book, they go to him for information, but I think they're betrayed on the way or something. Josh, I, I, why I think do you Kalam gets him in, in, in during this? Kalam's quest. I don't remember. Wow. I, I don't know India. Wow. Yeah, India, I'm in the same boat. I have fuck. I had no memory of this fool. Do you know who I always imagine Mebra as? Oh, like wait, the- uh, uh, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> no you know like the opening of aladdin oh uh, that guy yeah. yeah i know exactly what you mean i hated aladdin <laughs> bad movie yeah. fun fact actually aladdin is on the list uh, uh that our film history teacher goes into uh what's the word like subliminal disney racism oh yeah Super it's fascinating like, mm. oh it's sublim. Yeah. i wouldn't even call it subliminal i yeah. would say it's part of the text Mm-hmm. But yeah. anyway, before we get to chapter two, we want to thank our Patreon people. We'd like to give a hearty thank you to our new patrons. Luke, Seth, Perlon, Andrew, Garrett, Drew, Dustin, Mephisto, Danny, Fabrice, Dylan, Tyler, Frank, Philip, Justin, Dave, Kirk, Ryan, Tom, Brendan, Billy, Jeremiah, Zach, and Eric. Damn, bro. I installed Patreon for my phone. I didn't know we were just, they keep coming in. We're rolling in patrons, baby. Thank you so very much, everybody, uh, for uh, contributing to our Patreon. It really means a lot, as always. Um, And it's always fun to come back in a new season and have like a huge list of people to read. Um, It's just fun. So, thanks. Yeah, thanks. I'm really stoked for the sixth season, baby. All right, let's kick it. Chapter 2 In the Realm of Shadow, Iskarol Pust meets with Cotillion and Shadowthrone. Shadowthrone dismisses his servant for a task, and Cotillion speaks with him. Cotillion leaves Shadowkeep and meets an ancient being named Edgewalker. They trade cryptic remarks about the legacy of Shadow, and then Edgewalker brings him to three dragons. The dragons are aspected to warrants, and Edgewalker says they are only chained for ambition. Cotillion is looking for allies and wants to know if the dragons would ally with him in the impending war. Mappo looks through bones as Akarium wades through the waters of Rarico. They speak together about memories, and Akarium decides they should travel to Trevor. Cutter, Solara, Felis and Younger, Greyfrog, Heverick travel through the desert. They want passage to Ototero Island. Baboric speaks of ghosts he sees, and Greyfrog hasn't heard from Baboric. Solara is pregnant. She thinks on where she has found herself and is worried about Greyfrog. Riders threateningly approach Solara and Felis, but Greyfrog kills them violently. Afterwards, Cutter and Bork return, and 
Solara pretends nothing has happened. Smiles and Cork bicker until a smile throws a dagger in his leg. The 14th Army chases Leoman across the desert. Many soldiers are miserable. Fiddler and Kalam are catching up about the bridge burners. Fiddler thinks bad things are coming. Quickman joins them and speaks of Tavor and the adjunct's hidden plans for Kalam. Via Warren, Tayshrin, and Dujek arrive at the camp. Quickben smothers suspicions around Tayshrin. Far on a hill, Pearl and Lestara are spying on the scene. I just had a great time reading these chapters. I don't know about you guys. Just want to share. Just I. Mm-hmm. It was great. I had a, I, nothing but good vibes from me. You know. I read read chapter two in a little park. Oh, nice. chapter two I think was kind of yeah. the meatiest chapter. This cotillion scene is like there's a lot like in it. a heaping hunk and helping a stew. Um, yeah. Can I can I request just like a really Spark Notes Cliff Notes version of what happened here at the throne? I well, the throne am so is thankful less, that you did that, AJ. The throne, yeah. the throne is the less confusing part of the sequence. Like Iskaro Pust is there. Well, just like and the whole like I'm talking about what happened oh. here in House of Chains. Okay, so AJ, we are in the we're in the Warren of Shadow at the throne that we've always known about, but then there was the physical throne in the world that we were at in House of Chains. That's not where we were this chapter. Right. We're like in the shadow. This is a separate place. We've never been here before. We have been here once or twice in the shadow keep uh, because Quick Ben visits Shadow Throne here in the first book. And that's how we know that Quick Ben is uh, like was a servant of shadow. Who knew? Right. Okay. 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 That clears up so much. I thought this was like that whole this was the whole Crocus Absalar thing like. Because don't they, they, they do find the throne, right? They find the physical manifestation of the throne, which is also important okay, that it and is kept in, in, in safety, okay. yes. That is where I thought we were, and I was so lost. Now, I was so, so lost. And there's several thrones, because now we have found out that, like, the hold, uh, one of the other holds, I can't remember which one the they dogs. said, has a, the, the hold of Talon, uh, of, or Amtos Falak, mm-hmm. that one is they need to find that throne, um, and that is where Troll, Sengar, and uh, Onrak, they're that's going not, to find that, that throne. That's not the throne of Amtas Falak. That's the first throne. The first throne. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But that is the other physical throne that we have heard of now. Um, in addition to the throne, the throne that we went to in the fourth book with Cutter and Absalar. <sighs> okay. Which is now held by Traveler. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's why I was like, they're saying Amanis. Uh, uh, and I was like, I was pretty sure that's not what his name was. Anamandaris uh, is the other name of Shadow. Of. Uh, what's his name? Shadow, Shadow Throne, Throne Shadow Emperor Throne. Kalenved. Yeah, 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 yeah. His right. other name is Animandaris. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has, all, okay. every character has three names. This is a... Cotillion. <laughs> yes. Who's Amanis, then? Amanis is Shadow Throne. That's what I yeah. thought. Amanis is Shadow Throne. Okay. Ugh. Ooh, a lot, a lot to clear up. But yeah, um, but so AJ, this whole yeah. first section takes place in the Warren of Shadow in the Shadow Keep. Or at least the fragment of the Warren of Shadow that... You know, Shadow Throne commands because apparently there's more yeah. that he doesn't fully control. Yeah. So, Josh, yeah. there's this brief segment from a Scarl Puss point of view, but mostly this whole section takes place from Cotillion's point of view, which is not something we often see. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you think about being in his shoes? What did you think about their control of shadow? What's going on in this realm? I mean, it was just, I, I, I almost don't even know what to chew on. There's so much that we learn. I don't want to say anything about that. What I want to say is this scene <laughs> cemented for me that this series is all about the sidekicks. Consistently in this series, there is a person who is too smart for their own good and they are stretched too thin and working on too many fronts. And then we get to see this with the point of view of the person keeping them together. We got your map of runts. Now we got Cotillion who's keeping Shadow Throne together. Uh, I'm sure there are several others we've seen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but those are the two that stand out in my head right now. Um, I feel like like we don't get to see a lot of the like central leaders. We're usually seeing the people like slightly below them. And so in this case, I thought it was really interesting that like we have Cotillion who's like, He's doing his own thing, not fully even knowing where Shadowthorn is, but kind of being like, well, he's really smart. I'm just going to tie up the loose ends where I can. Um, yeah. It was interesting because it's like a very like he's doing the same shit that everyone else is doing that are mortals. It's just he's talking to dragons that that's his tying up loose ends is talking to dragons and incredibly old, omnipotent, probably elder gods in the Edgewalker. Edgewalker. Edgewalker's sick. Love Edgewalker. When he's like, you can call me a primordial force. I was like, ah, oh, you fuck. Just say you're an elder god. I think he's Draconis, personally, because we haven't I, seen Draconis in a long time. I love walking edges, you know. And, and um, we, don't, we don't have a lot of elder gods that we know of. AJ, what was your takeaway? What was a takeaway for you from this section? Uh, from this section of, like, Cotillion Shadowthorn and the dragons and stuff? Yeah. It was cool. Like I said, I was uh, confused about where we were, so I was spending a lot of time being like, man, I don't remember how we got here and blah, 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 um, which I think is funny that, that Josh brings up the, the quick pen visiting uh, Shadowthorn part, because I literally listened to that part of the of Gardens of the Moon like three days ago, and somehow it left my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, I thought it was cool. I think Edgewalker is very cool. The the image I have for Edgewalker in my head is dope. Uh, I, I, I the, the part where Cotillion's like talking to the dragons, trying to reason with them, and they're all just mm-hmm. like, no, I'm a big dragon. And Cotillion's like, all right, well. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, no, come back. Yes. It's like, no. Stay trapped forever. <laughs> yeah. Hey, AJ, like, AJ right. do you trust these dragons? No. <laughs> I don't think we're... I think these dragons... Uh, I I think I'm in the same boat as Cotillion, because I think he said it at one point. He's like, oh, I thought after you'd be locked up for so long, you'd, like, kind of have a change of heart or whatever. And, like, damn, these dragons are fucking dumb. Because, like, just do some self... You know, do some self-introspection, you know? Like... Think about your place in the world. Think about how you got here, you know? <laughs> but also, it seems like they didn't really do anything wrong. It's just outside forces were like, hey, stop it. Um, but I don't know. Man. Ambition. They had and too much ambition. Ambition was their only crime. <laughs> yeah. Real quick, Peter, because there was a lot of info about dragons dumped, which makes me assume that dragons are going to be very important. So, in mm. fact, I have a quote here. Yes, there is a quote. Go for it. So at first, earlier in the section, it says standing stones are always half buried cotillion and the mm-hmm. makers were rarely ignorant of their significance of that overworld and underworld, you know, and then later on, a few paragraphs later, they're talking and they say, you suspect cotillion, do you not that dragons are at the heart of all that will come cotillion gestured to the chains, they reach through to the overworld, presumably, and what and that Warren is what, you know? Just saying, it's there. We're doing it. Yeah. So my question then was, uh, there was not as much, uh, not as much excitement about the dragons as from. (laughs) So anyway, my question was, um, 
and we've probably <laughs> talked about this before, but I just need a quick clarification. So the Elaine, which these three are, they're mm. kind of like OG dragons, mm-hmm. right? And now, do they have alternate forms? Because we've met other Elaine. I want to. I can't remember which ones. Maybe, maybe Anima Solana, Solana was one. Or Solana was one. Is Solana one or is Solana? Because they mentioned her, and I couldn't remember. But because there's, there's the, they say they okay. say she's Elaine in Gardens of the Moon. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so she, there's Elaine, which are like the OG dragons, and then there are Soul Taken, which are just like beings who have be, who have become dragons, but they're not like. They well, you're actually mistaken dragon. there. Soul Taken has nothing to do with being a dragon. Soul Taken is a different type of shapeshifter. Right, however, but they can be dragons. That's what I'm However, at. many Soul Taken we meet are Soul Taken Elaine. You know, so oh, it's kind okay. of just like the, it's a popular Soul Taken form to turn into oh, a dragon. Okay, 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 got it. But they're probably not as powerful, assumedly, as the like legit Elaine. I have no comment. Okay. Um, yeah, terrific. I I, All right, let's... Because mm. I, I don't know about the, the power thing, because in Gardens of the Moon, when Animander Rake, I know he's Animander Rake, but he transforms and they say that he is like even bigger and like stronger than Solana is. Yeah, but he's a full on ascendant. So sure, even if he won't accept it, as they say. So I don't think it's. Yeah. OK. OK. Yeah. I got you. All right. Let's leave. uh anyway. Let's leave the Shadow Realm behind us, although we barely touched on so much of what happened there there's so much happening in this like yeah maybe section it's crazy maybe you can uh tell me some of it they talk about they talk they even talk about scavendari blood eye they're confirming his soul's alive they talk about his head being crushed they talk about the tist andy kind of being a part of the sundering of crawled emerlane you know sundering Mm -hmm. Uh, just like uh, breaking breaking apart the destruction of the realm um, but I, I just kind of love the conversation because I think it pays off a lot of stuff that was set up earlier whilst also it like confirmed a lot of things. And then as I was reading it, I was like, I, if I was smarter, it would confirm a whole lot more, too. I'm sure I'd figure out yeah. other stuff. I will say sometimes it is doing that Malazan thing, especially a Scarl Pust and all of uh, all the folks in the beginning are doing it where it's just like people cryptically talking around whatever the thing is they're talking about, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, oh, it is that way, isn't it? Oh, yes, but not in the way you think it is that way, isn't it? Not. And it's like, uh, sometimes, you know. All right, let's get back to the ethereal world. Raraku's flooded. Um, India, we catch up with Mapo and Akarium. Akarium's just in the water. Mapo's looking at Crystal. He 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 thinks Akarium's his Crystal. They're going to keep going. So <laughs> what what... What do you think's like? I but a, a lot of the same, Peter. I think a lot of the same is going to happen here. Yeah, but here's what I was going to ask: is you know, for like a character that like is kind of forced to live in the present, Aquarium is also like so kind of obsessed with his past. You know, like what do you think this means for him? And do you think it's like kind of trapping him? I mean, I think it's for his own good. So maybe it is, but also. It's kind of better that way for everyone else. So I don't know. I'm not a huge like Ikarium Mapo fan because India. I'm sorry, you're wrong. I know, <laughs> I, just... I know, I know. No, what's, what, you're not, you're just not vibing. <laughs> I'm just like like I just don't care. Like it's supposed to be like, oh my god, this is so like sad. I, I'm that I'm is with exactly India. how I feel, India. And I'm just that like I, I don't care. 
I'm with Indy because I feel like I we were so intensely invested in their storyline in book two. And then, like, we saw them once in book four. And and now we're just kind of... And, you know, there's the hints to Ikarium in book five with the timepiece. And that's supposed to kind of be like, don't forget, there's some weird time shit with him. Uh, but I just... I the clues the, the the breadcrumbs are so far apart that I, but, I just it's not it's not keeping me. But to me, the cool glass of water of seeing all my friends is even <laughs> double folded for these folks since I haven't seen them in like four fucking books. It's like Mappo Rudd, yeah, baby. I guess I guess Here, so, yeah. Ikarium's taking a little dip. He's swimming over there. You know. I gotta be honest too, though they voice Ikarium like this in the audiobook, and do they really? For me, he's it's just like he has such a soft voice for such a, a large figure. I wonder if it was on purpose. Well, he is, I imagine Akarium as a soft boy. He's a soft boy TM, for sure. It's very, it's like hard to remember that that is the voice for Akarium. Hmm. Now, when he like goes into a, a rage and then afterwards loses his mind, is he still high-pitched? I'll let you know. Sounds... Oh, yeah, okay. Well, if, this if is the different voice than they used initially. That's the thing. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know you were back to audiobooking, Inge. I'm not back to audiobooking. I'm I'm an audiobooker when I need to be. I've so never I didn't listened have, to an I didn't audiobook. have the, the wherewithal to right. pick up the physical book, so I audiobooked mm. this time. But I do have, like, I am going to read it when I have more time, but I've been listening while driving type thing that's how i've been reading yeah. this one interesting yeah well back to uh the actual book itself Ach, what side of this fence you fall on were you excited to see our our big boys um i don't i mean i fucking christ i'm the only one so... on the show like <laughs> but i mean i don't know i'm just like i i was i don't know if excited is the word because honestly like my experience with them i read the first third of dead house gates and then i haven't really like I don't know. I, I don't remember what happens with them. Uh, I mean, I know broad strokes, but like specifically, I have no idea. So like seeing him, I was like, oh, yes, I know these characters and I know that they do stuff in previous books and blah, blah, blah. But there's no like emotion attached Emotional to it, attention. I guess. Yeah, it's like, oh, I know Ikarium mm -hmm. just came back up in fucking Gardens of the Moon as like the person who like talks about what the years will be or whatever the fuck like that. Uh, it, and so every time he Icarian pops up in, in these books, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. I wonder what's happening. But like right now, there is not really any emotion. Mm. So I'm excited in terms of like figuring out what's going to happen. But it didn't feel like these two didn't specifically feel like a hug, really. Well, let's leave it there then and turn <laughs> our attention to a whole fellowship of characters that is crossing the desert. And I just want to touch in with each one of them and get where we're at. Um, AJ, so why don't you pick one of these five and let me know how you're feeling? Oh, man. Um, uh, okay. So I guess actually Felicin Younger is just like her, her role in these. I don't remember if they're in the third chapter, but I, her role feels so just like she's a little girl. Like it doesn't feel like I kind of feel like we've regressed with her in terms of like her being a character in a way because really all we see of her is like gray frog eats that guy and she like didn't want to look and that and, and I, I know we're like still very early on in the book but um i don't know it didn't feel like the same fellas and younger that we knew in house of chains interesting hmm. like yeah, you felt yeah, a I, disconnect yeah i did i felt a little like oh this isn't who i remember her being but i guess 
Well, is. her mom did die. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, like, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> she did have some some changing events that might have caused her to now be a little more. Yeah, that's changing events. That's that's fair. And that is fair. <laughs> Yeah. Also, I think Peter's right. We've only had like one scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna be tough to say. I'm excited to see more of her. Honestly, yeah. me too. I love her so much. Yeah, I don't want to say like I'm not interested in her character. I was just saying it. It did feel. I can't a little... believe you, AJ. Insensitive. <laughs> yeah, I, can't wow. you, I can't believe you said that. So insensitive. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, AJ, if you could edit it so it sounds like you said you don't care about her, that would be sick. Love that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't care. <laughs> just a just a quick note. Josh, why don't you pick up one of the remaining four of this uh, gang? What do you think? Wh- where do you where are you at now with them? What are you expecting out of them in this book? Haboric is a character that I, f- I feel like is I love and hate so much all the time. But right now, I'm thinking I'm I'm more on the love train. I, I really enjoy crazy out of his gore talking to ghost Haboric. Um, and... Uh, Sometimes lucid, it sounds like. I don't know. I, I'm kind of into it. because Now, let me say this. As long as I don't have to be POV. <laughs> I think personally, I prefer non-POV Haboric coming in like, what up? I'm ghost hands and doing something. And then he's gone again. And I don't have to worry about, you know, his his sanity breaking 24-7. Instead of Jade Spaceship I'm, Haboric. I, yeah, really, Jade Spaceship Haboric's a little heavy. <laughs> I really like Haboric because to me, the Malzian characters I always connect the most with are the ones who don't have it all together. And Haboric does not have it all together. And furthermore, sometimes I'm actively angry about how unhelpful he is being, you know? Yeah. And I think that's just, it's an interesting tension and, and feeling I go with that character. So, um... Yeah, I, I definitely get along with them. Inge, what do you? Uh, why don't you pick one of these remaining three? Mm, that's a tough one because I feel like I should pick like the OG, which would be Crocus Cutter, <laughs> but I have zero desire to. <laughs> so we're gonna go with one of our noob friends. Like, I guess I'll go. I don't want to pick the demon, so I guess I'll go Scalara. Also, okay. she did. She does have some interesting um, little tidbits of info. So <laughs> she is pregnant mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Wonder what the we what is a Malazan baby like? The last Malazan baby we saw was like a, a teenager in three days. So <laughs> <laughs> um, shit. We don't know what this wow. looks like. We don't wow. know what this world is like with child. Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued to see. And, you know, and it's also just like a change of pace. Like these kinds of stories are just super different from Malazan mm. as a whole. So I'm excited to see how that story unfolds, to be honest, because it's just different than what we're used to here. And I like um, I like the character. She seems uh, like also the the demon... What is its name? Gray Frog. Gray, Gray Frog. Frog. Yep. Doesn't. Um, <laughs> you can tell we love this fucker. <laughs> he like doesn't use telepathy with her. Why? Yeah, I'm very curious about that. I I I want to know really badly. I like want to know. So mm. I'm just really yeah. interested in um, what goes on there. And then like, just just to touch on Crocus because like, I don't want to leave him out. Will he ever see uh, Absalar again? Is it over? Is it over? I hope they meet again. So. That's my only and that's my literal only care about um, Cutter Crocus. I think I like the the like these scenes and these chapters in the beginning a lot because it's so much about like the rogues of the series. Do you mean just like 
you know, there's some scenes in the army, but it's mostly just like, oh, yeah, here are the random people that are all scattered throughout seven cities. Mm-hmm. And they're all having various difficult times, mm-hmm. you know, and I just like checking in on where they are, what they've been up to and where their journey is taking them. So I, I really liked this scene with the five of them, even if it's um, I don't know, I feel like it's more just touching base. And I mean, I love Cutter, so always glad to get a little more of the kid. <sighs> Yeah, we didn't talk much about it, but it is so interesting. We've said before we haven't got to see inside Absler's head, but her like feelings on her relationship and like, you know, failed sort of desired romance with Cutter is like it's so young adult Hmm. fantasy. It's like the most young adult fantasy part of this book. But then she like horrifically tortures someone and like, you know, breaks their arm in half. So then it's gone. It's very duality of human, you know? (laughs) <laughs> the duality of man. Oh, I love this boy. <laughs> Crack arm in half, twist behind back. You know, we've all had an accident, uh, an emotional crisis, and then d- just absolutely murdered a man. Yeah. How else do you get over your emotional crisis? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Um, I gotta say, I think I gotta. I just I think Apt is the better demon. I'm over. I'm or I'm over Gray Frog. You know, I think for me, I just I, I'm going back to the OG. You know, I just am so enamored with the Gray the way that Gray Frog communicates. Love it's how he talks. So good. Yes, it's so funny every single time. I agree. It doesn't get old. Yeah, it will never get old. I do like how there's that one scene where it's like, and then he ate their skin or yeah, like whatever. Yeah, yeah. It like sucked out their like, What happened? <laughs> It's like glib. I don't know. It's very good. <laughs> it's very Yeah, he like um, lied about it at first. He's like, I found yeah. horses. Yeah. There he's like, but what about the blood? <laughs> All right, so uh we cut out to the army. They're in the desert. They're chasing Leoman and they've defeated Shaikh. But AJ, I wonder what you make of the prowess of this army. <sighs> We're definitely made to think they're just a bunch of fool dummies, but I think really what it is is they're all really good at one thing, and that is like doing their one part in a battle or whatever. Uh, so I think they're just going to be goofy the whole time, and then at one point there's going to be a battle, and they're going to just fucking destroy. Like they're going to fucking kick ass, and then we're, they're just going to go back to being goofy. You know, um, that that's that's the 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 bluff that I'm waiting for is like, oh, they've been really good the whole time, but I mean it, it's it's. So much fun, though, to just like be in the camp and have them all just being goofy and and goofy fun times, you know? Mm. Yeah. I really like that Steve went took the really easy joke, you know, like when you call a big dude tiny and just made this incredibly angry and likable character named Smiles. Mm -hmm. Very Mm -hmm. good. Very good. Um, Mm. Yeah. Minge, what's your face (laughs) of disgust? I'm bored by them. Really? Yeah, I don't find them that like whenever I'm just like, why are we doing this? I don't care. I don't care. That's really what it is for me. It's like, why are you doing like there's banter that I enjoy and then there's the banter that I'm just like, next and <laughs> I absolutely feel that way when mm. we're at the camp. Mm. Inge, I mostly feel the same as you. Yeah, you guys like the tehole and bug like not intelligent, but even... just like the higher level like back and forth joke stuff rather than just like Haha, I threw a knife at your leg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Honestly, and I don't even think Peter really loved Tehol and Bug. Did you, PB? No, I I think the reason the 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 ban- ban- big bantering hits me differently is because like I feel like in other situations 
I get the sense there's more like with Tell and Buck, there's like more character there. Do you mm-hmm. mean? And I understand it's part of their relationship and what's going on where sometimes when it's just like the soldiers being soldiers mm-hmm. and we're all hanging out, shooting the shit. Yeah, what could be better than this? It doesn't feel dude. like and it just feels like I don't know. I don't actually feel like I have a good sense of these characters or I'm that invested in them outside of like time to have mm-hmm. see some soldiers joking around, you know? Who even are I, you guys? I, I, I want to say real quick, I have such a different take on this. I don't think this scene is meant to be funny. I think this scene is meant to be like, look, like the tensions in this army are so fucking high. Like all of these jokes are just kind of like little attacks at each other that result in one of them getting fucking stabbed in the leg. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't think it's meant to be like funny, good banter. It's like meant to be kind of shitty feeling. Mm. Like it's not banter; it's just people ma- uh, uh, harassing each other. Yeah, it's yeah, it is not. It is super not fun banter to me. It is like these people are on edge and they need a fight mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. because they're 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 about to break. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, and that even makes it less enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying, Josh. That, Josh, that take is like blowing my mind. I really. Don't agree with it at all. Really? So, That's fine. I agree. I agree 100%. Yeah, I fully agree that. as well. So, Pete, once again, you're in the minority of the show. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Just me out here alone today. Um, well, uh, near at the end of the chapter, Fiddler and Kalam are talking in the desert. And then Quick Ben joins them eventually. And it's kind of like old chums catching up. And we kind of haven't seen these guys hang out in a while. Oh. Josh, would you make us seeing these guys back together? And then Dujek returns to the story. And we haven't seen Dujek in three books. Yeah, love it. I love Kalam's concern for Fiddler so much. It is so wholesome to me, but it's also very fun that I really like that, like, even though they are so close, like, you know, they, they there's been some time apart. They've they've experienced some very crazy things apart from each other. So, like, Kalam's like, I want to tell Fiddler to fucking retire, but I don't know if we're that type of dudes anymore. It's like yeah. and, and they're trying to figure out this, like, strange relationship they have, because when it comes down to it, like the bridge burners relationships are just a series of shitty events that have happened to them that have brought them together. Mm-hmm. And they're also like the last three that haven't given up entirely, which I think really changes the dynamic of their relationships. I, I love it. I, I think it's one of the one of my favorite like relationships to kind yeah. of think about the, in the well, story right jo- now. Uh, Josh, I think like talking about how Kalam is unsure how to approach Fiddler, I think that is best illustrated by uh, when Smiles and Cork are talking and they're like, oh, he doesn't even want to go by Fiddler anymore because of like he doesn't want that yeah. life anymore. Oh, yeah. So I think that's yeah. that's an interesting point combined with that that quote, Josh. It's yeah, like he he wants to just he wants to be strings, but like the army needs right. him to be fiddler. Right. And it's so yeah, it's a strange pull. Man, I love fiddler. <laughs> Me um, too. And He's a I did not expect to give a shit about his character the way I do. <laughs> and I think what's great about this scene is what is kind of what you're mentioning is I feel, when I read the scene, you can just tell it rings of people who know each other really well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that it's not like them, I don't know, there's just an honesty there about kind of just friends caring about each other and not in a faux way. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. <sighs> and then Quick Ben shows up, ruining everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, also, Tatrin's got these two bodyguards. The last time yeah, we had people fuck? with like names and no other information, it was secretly Tatrin. So I don't trust fucking anybody that he brings. <laughs> yeah, Tatrin's around too, I guess. 
Any any other thoughts on chapter two, or should we roll things well, along? Pete, you can't forget about the pearl and the star a bit. Oh yeah, at the end we we check in just a little bit. We don't really get a big chunk of meat, but we do see pearl and the star up. We get some good out. banter though. We get some we get some little you know picking at each other. I feel like that's just Steve. I mean, obviously he's setting up other stuff, but I feel like it's also just him being like, oh yeah, don't worry, we're gonna like mm-hmm. they're a part of the story. We're following them this book. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. You know? Yeah. Uh, kind that of- feels like such a, a not Steve move though. I feel like the Steve move is to go the whole book and then all of a sudden they show up in chapter twenty one. Be like, we've been here the whole time. <laughs> Actually, and then we, and then in the and then in the interview, you ask Steve, and he's like, "Well, remember in this chapter, the curtain rustled. If you read the subtext, if you look at the first letter of each line on this page, it spells Pearl and Lestara. The clues were there; you just had to find them." First, he's like, "I don't remember the books that well, but, <laughs> but page 15. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just love seeing characters we know. You, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a it's a joy. You know, yeah. it's like you almost forget that the sixth book in the series could be built on yeah. your love of I, characters. I, at the, I agree. <laughs> yeah. At the end of this chapter, it, it ends with with Pearl saying, uh, "Gods, we were made for each other," or whatever, which was just like, so oh good. yeah, so but, nice. I, it was at that point where I was like really thinking, like. It feels like we are, uh, I guess, compared to Midnight Tides, we are like foot off the gas, just like coasting. Like we are just cruising down the highway at, you know, like a brisk whatever. Whereas Midnight Tides, I felt like we had the fucking pedal to the metal the entire time. Um, And I mean, we had to work through an entire story in in just one book. So I get that. But this just feels like, you know, hey, here's some here's some of your friends. You know them. They're still doing stuff like we're just chilling. You know, it felt like 200 pages of chilling. It was great. That's crazy to me. I feel like this book starts off with a bang. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, like, I I know what you mean. It's like, especially compared to like chapter one, Charles running into town, like the action's happening, Mm -hmm. war, boom, boom. But like, I don't know, like Absalar goes on like a whole quest. We learn all this stuff. Kuchin loves all this stuff. I, I mean, I know what you mean. We're touching base with everything. But it's not like, I don't know, I still think a lot of stuff happens in these chapters and we're like getting off to a like a start. You know, the story's in motion, you know, yeah, it definitely is. I think just the scale of everything is like this one person is doing this one thing and then this one person is doing this one thing. Like everything that happened in Midnight Tides felt like, okay, well, this, you know, Troll did whatever, but that affects the entire thing because it's all connected because all of this stuff happens in one book. So like, I know all of this stuff is connected, uh, obviously, but it just feels so, it just feels like we're getting bits and we're not getting like, I do agree with you on that. I mean, the highest stake thing really that we see is the 14th chasing Leoman's army into the desert. Right. You know, this is the (laughs) thing that is like the grandest stakes. Everything everything else is mostly like people chilling out doing random things. There is no like imminent threat right now, except for like, you know, the the main overarching threat of like whatever the cripple god is. But like there's no apocalypse coming, you know, there's no uh, storm there's no, you know, moon spawn hanging over the city like all the other books had things that felt like imminent threats. And this one is kind of just like, well, we're in the aftermath of this apocalypse. So. So let me ask you that then. I mean, if there's no imminent threat, I mean, especially compared to Midnight Tides, which you go into and you're like, you kind of know it's the story of Charles Shorning. Right. Like, what do we imagine the conflict of this book is? I mean, do you have any impression at all? I mean, we haven't gotten any Tavor stuff, really. Um, So I feel like once we start seeing whatever Tavor is up to or hearing whatever Tavor is up to, if we even get that in this book, I don't know. That's when stuff is going to start, like, happening again. (laughs) 
because right now a lot of the stuff feels pretty disconnected from like what the empire is doing and i feel like that's been the main source of kind of conflict throughout the the other books and the, whatever those nameless ones are up to yeah or there's just gonna be some huge fucking dragon attack or something like i i really just i i don't know i feel like we could go anywhere honestly yeah i guess we'll see all right let's kick things into the final chapter chapter three In Erlatan, Apslar wonders why Mebra was a target in the first place. Cotillion visits her then, and they speak of her list, Tellerest and Kirtle, Edgewalker, and the future. Apslar returns to the tavern then, and is told somebody has been in her room. Apslar decides to return to the scene of the crime. Here, she incapacitates the Pardu woman following her. Her secret boss is from the Trigal Trade Guild, Apsalar then finds Mebra's notes under the pavestones and reads them. Samar, Dev, and Karsa approach Moraval Keep together. They are greeted by soldiers outside, but they say Malazans have not been seen in a long time. Karsa enters the keep, finding traps, and ends up fighting a beast. Outside the keep, Samar, Dev, speaks with the captain about the strange sounds coming from inside. Karsa kills the beast. The Toblakai then emerges filthy and dragging the beast's body along with him. There are no Malazans in the keep. Korab and Leoman are taking the army to Yucatan. Years ago, a famed battle took place there, where the first sword of the empire, Dasim Altor, is said to have died. However, Leoman corrects him, saying he reluctantly ascended to become Desambre, the lord of tragedy. Fiddler talks with Bottle, and then they watch Nil and Nether call upon their ancestors. They see them commune with the Wiccan, and see Bolt's ghost. He says the Wiccan do not belong there. Quickben leads a party in the Imperial Warren, however they have become lost, and something massive steps out of chaos to follow them. It's time to go. We mentioned it earlier, AJ. What do you make of Cotillion and Absalar's relationship? Uh, I mean, I feel like for Absalar, it's just like, well, this is the life I have now because I was possessed by a god for a little while. Uh, and so this is kind of like what I'm good at, where I'm at. So whatever Cotillion needs me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And I feel like from Cotillion's side, it's like, I feel like Cotillion kind of feels guilty, uh, for what he's done to Absalar, uh, but is also just kind of like, well, I have this tool, so I might as well use it. Like, I feel like it's like in the in the last or in, in House of Chains, Cotillion and Absalar have this whole conversation about like her feelings about Crocus and all this stuff. And I feel like Absalar has kind of resigned herself to be like, well, I'm, you know, I'm a tool of the rope now. Like, I'm just going to be killing people and doing whatever. And Cotillion's like, well, no, I mean, you had love and blah, blah, blah. And so I think the farther we go into this book, it's going to be more of Cotillion trying to like kind of serve like penance for what he has done to Absalar, like how mm. he has kind of upended her entire life, you know, not kind of fully has upended her entire life. Do you think he's a good influence on her? No, uh, I wasn't expecting to have a hard time answering that. I don't think so. I mean, I think so. Yeah, I think or sorry. Do I think he's a good influence? No. But I feel like now he's trying to he is trying to be one <laughs> because he's like, oh, crap, I've left this I've left this child with nothing. And so now I need to like help model her so she's not just a murder machine. I do worry because he like said this very vague thing like and like she was like, yes, yeah, so I'll do these few things and then I'll be free or she or he said and then you'll be free. But then he like 
he grimaced or like he there was a sentence about like what he did after saying that that then felt like not great yeah it felt like the implication i know what statement you're talking about it felt like the implication was like you'll do what you need to do and then you'll be dead (laughs) like yeah uh, that's what it that's what it felt like to me too yeah josh uh what do you think of this kind of follow-up to what the scene we see saw earlier she kind of returns to the scene of the crime she reads all this stuff she talks to the trigger all trade guild spy what'd you what'd you make all that i don't really know yet honestly because um i don't know it was well okay it was one of the few times i feel like that absolar has made a decision of her own like she decided i'm curious and i want to go look into this and so I found that interesting. Also, like we can't skip over. She walked through Letharis in the she shadow. Did, right? Realm, okay, which was which was fucking bonkers, and that so that was wild. But um, it was an interesting choice to me that it was the Trigal Trade Guild that that was there. Um, I did not see that coming. I guess if I mean if I had to guess, the importance of that is that she needs to get somewhere fast pretty soon here and it's going to be convenient that she knows a trigger trade mm-hmm. members there i guess maybe that's what the port that that's going to come up i'm not really sure yet um and then uh finding those like things was the the, the tablets was interesting can you what was the note that was older i can't remember i just read it yesterday but my, my mind's blanking right this second there was the one from a while ago that hadn't been broken Oh, it was with Haboric. Yes, with Haboric, Haboric right? is like About, the, he's going to he, destroy everything. He has, he, yeah, he has the power to destroy everything. And then Absalor is like, that's weird. I wonder why he was with Shaikh. Also, that really cemented for me completely disparate thought. Or There's so much information that we as readers know, and I'm constantly astounded by how well Steve chooses who gets that information in the books. Like, we know all the intricacies of Haboric and also that Shaikh was Felicin, and just, like, all these other characters all over the place have their own, you know, perspective on things and the stuff that they know and don't know. And it's really interesting how that influences, like, how they are interpreting information and how differently we interpret that same information as the reader. Oh, that's really mm. interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's I think it's something that sometimes can be aggravating, but I think overall the way that all the different characters different interpretations of the events kind of bleed mm-hmm. together I think creates probably a more interesting mosaic than just having like everyone on the same page or whatever, you know. Yeah. India, so we come in and we have this whole sequence. Carsa goes into the keep. We cut to Sam Ardev. We cut back and forth. Boom, boom, boom. What you make of this whole scene? Carsa is an animal. Did he was did he kill one of those uh thing? Kachachachachas. Short tail. Kachachachachacha. You know those little. Kachachachachacha. The Those lizard things. The chachachachas. Yes. Oh, it was not. It was not a kachachama, was it? I don't know. I don't know. I just thought because it had a. Not a short tail, it was a lizard, so I figured I'd ask. No, I think. Oh, it, you know what? I didn't catch that, but it should have had swords for arms. Yeah, I think it was more a, like a demon situation. Well, I don't know. It could be anything, it. and I would believe it. It could be anything, yeah. I did enjoy that. I think he's funny sometimes. I, I like when he like like when he's going to do something, he's like, stop talking, witness, and then just goes <laughs> and does it. Um, but it very much feels like he's like, oh, I have a catchphrase. I have to say yeah, my yes, catchphrase. Absolutely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I, I mean, really he's a bit of a showman. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And then like when he like breaks the door, um, everyone's just like, oh, my God. And I I don't know. I like Carsa. I really I think mm-hmm. that they're just easy to digest. There's nothing to unpack. We're just living in the moment. Those are the parts that are more enjoyable because um, and I feel like that has kind of been how it 
kind of was for these first chapters where like, yes, there are things obviously that I don't know, but I'm not trying as hard to decode things. Um, mm-hmm. which is like super refreshing. Mm-hmm. Mm. That I gotta say though, guys, the fight scene, badass. The fight scene ruled. I just thought it was a great kind of almost like slapstick thing, <laughs> Damien, to like keep There's a moment away. To like the people outside, like any moment now, and the dude's getting his feet bathed in mint, chewed with oil in the mouths of slaves. What a sentence that was. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, like, yeah, like the, the, the beast falls on Carson's balls and he's like, no, and like shoves it off real quick. Like, come on. Well, and it. then Carson gets thrown down the shithole and lands face first in some shit. And then just also we don't even yeah, and we don't even talk about the fact that we like we just learned there's giant stakes in there, and he doesn't even bat an eye at the fact that he missed them because it's Carsa and he's blessed. (laughs) It's like a full on comedy sequence. Yeah, it's it's really good. Uh, I mean, horrifically brutal. Like Carsa has a piece of skin just flapping over his eye. Yeah. So yeah, it's really good. It is good. (laughs) So Josh, uh, afterwards we. we cut to the army and the Wiccans are there and they're kind of focused. And we see Nil and Nether commune with their ancestors and the ghosts of their people. They speak with Bolt. What do you make of the Wiccans without Cotillion and their place in this army? This is my favorite scene, this book. <laughs> it could possibly be my favorite scene in the series. It is so fun. It is so funny. It is so wholesome. I love every moment of this fiddler and bottle scene. Uh... I have so, but I'm reluctant to feel that way because Bottle has something in his shadow and there is some unknown force that he, that is definitely sort of directing him. So that worries me a little bit, but no, but there's something else. He like mentions that there's something else. Yeah. Yeah. His grandma. God, I want to meet his fucking grandmother so bad. So I just, I love that whole relationship. I'm so, I love that we keep having Malazan sorcerers who are like way more powerful than they have any right to be, but they just kind of like fly under the radar because they're like, God, but if, if they find out I'm good, then I'm important and that gets me killed. <laughs> and I love that. I love that sort of philosophy. Um, it's very funny. In terms of the Wiccans, I mean, beyond the whole mother yelling at them thing, which is very funny. I don't know. I just feel like the Wiccans are being absorbed and like they have their own identity. But like, I feel like it's slowly moving from the Wiccans and the Malazans to the Wiccan Malazans. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, they're they're definitely becoming part of this army in a way. I, I, I love it. I think it's so it feels very organic to me how they've become part of this army. Mm. Big fan of it. Interesting. I love that the dog bit one of the people in the company and Tamal had to come get it off. Because no one else could get it. And it's like, I don't even think it was the big dog. I think it was the yappy one. <laughs> oh, yeah. The dogs. They're a through line, baby. <laughs> love the dogs. Fucking dogs. I do love how Bottle was just like, oh, no, I don't use barns. I use holds. I was like, oh, okay, well. Yeah, casual. Great. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck's your grandma, Bottle? Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Where are you fucking from? Uh, and they're like, <laughs> let's eat one of your lizards. And Fiddler's like, he just hears like that he's keeping lizards and he's like, ah, something's up. Yeah. Whatever the fuck. However, he knows that shit. I love it. And if you had to pick one, Kalam or Quick Ben, who would you pick? <laughs> Quick Ben. <gasps> Sorry. Quick Ben. Quick Ben has the sauce, baby. Hard, pa- hard pass. Hard Why? pass. Kalam I am with like, Josh. Hard pass. Kalam, Kalam every like, day. fucking die. Well, I guess I, I'm the minority here. No, AJ's with you, India. We're 50-50. Uh, uh, I just don't know. Never mind. <laughs> AJ's I, not I, with I you. really like Quick Ben. I, I, I do really love Quick Ben and all the, the shit that he's up to. 
Quick Ben's fun in Memories of Ice. I yeah. like that Quick Ben. I like Quick I Ben in I, Gardens of the Moon too. I just nah. think my problem is I st- like Quick Quick Ben is playing to use the meme. Quick Ben is playing 4D chess, and my brain can't comprehend it. Sure. And I much more can understand Kalam and what he's up to typically because yeah, but, but he but just Josh, uses his cool knives. Yeah, but Josh, you just take your hand off the wheel and you let Quick Ben Quick Ben take the wheel. You know, yeah, take, it, see, take it from my I, hands with your seven Warrens. Do whatever the fuck true. you want. I'm along for the ride. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's how I feel. But Oof. I got to say, for some reason, maybe it's just been since it's been a while since we've recorded. We're about to record the interview with Steve. I guess I had the feeling that this was going to be contentious in some way. Like, I feel like I had kind of like a knot in my chest to make this episode, you know? I mean, you made it contentious by asking us to pick <laughs> two of the best boys. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess like... I guess we just like these chapters. Do you mean like I guess that's that's all there really is to it? You know, I I like this book. Uh, it's much less sad than the previous yeah. one so far. I yeah, that might also change. Like you book. never know. It's so different from Midnight Tides, too. Yeah, and I guess we'll see. Anyway, any other closing thoughts as we wrap up our first uh, Big Bone Hunters episode? Oh yes, quick thought: this book is too big for a mass God, market it's paperback. So huge, dude! Why is it not taller and thinner? Please, like I have to go buy a bookmark now because I'm a monster and I typically just do this or remember what page I'm on. You just leave. You it just open. leave it open, face down, open. Yeah, all my books are ruined. They are like, yeah, like you are a psychopath. They're all, yeah, like see, like like this is Memories of Ice. This is an oak. This is as big as you can do that. Like I can leave it like this, and then yeah. you'll just leave it unfolded all the rest of the day. No, like while I'm reading a chapter, if I put it down or something. If after a chapter, I just close it and I remember where I was. Okay, okay, this is less. Okay. But I can't do that with this. I have to finish a chapter in one sitting because I can't <laughs> unfold it. <laughs> And I need a bookmark because, great, I know I'm in chapter four, but where could that be? Look at this mm. book. It's too big. <laughs> mm. Alas. Just hanging out with my friends. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't make good radio, but I'm not, you know, just enjoying you know. Also, the book cover the book cover is a little edgy for me. It's pretty edgy, yeah. I got to say, those book covers I don't enjoy, you know. Um, not that. There was a whole conversation about book covers in the Discord a couple days ago. Man. Yeah. They go the, some places. The French and Polish ones are out of this fucking world, I think, is the ones that I think that I think we were talking about. I think the well, French ones think... are unequivocally like the best, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They rule. Um, there's there's a lot of great cover art, including the original ones and then some of the newer or ones or the international editions. But like those mass market ones, I think are just to me, they're very nondescript and just like, I don't know. It's just a big shrug, you know, it's it's nothing for mm-hmm. me. I love. Mm. Do you guys know the original Gardens of the Moon cover? That like, I just love a oh, good. Oh, I've seen it. It's so eighties. Yeah, I just love so... that vibe. You know. Yeah. Anyway, India, how um, do you feel about the feel of these books physically? India, if you've never seen this image, I'm I'm putting it in the uh, putting in the chat now. It's. I don't even know who it's supposed to be that cover, but it's. <laughs> That's what I good. keep thinking with all these covers. I'm like, who? What is this? Like the Midnight Tides one? Like what the fuck was that? What yeah, is this? India, chest? India, what look, is that? look at that. Look at that link in the chat. It's it's, it's wild. It's a ch- oh, the min- it's oh. the Midnight Tides chest. You read the oh, book. Oh, That's weird. <laughs> yeah. It's just so old school. Yeah, I hate that. That looks like a romance novel. Yes. <laughs> but like, who is it even supposed to be? You know? Yeah. Who are either of these people? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a good question. No, it's definitely Perrin. That's Perrin? Uh, yeah, no. I mean, uh, I guess so. I feel okay. like yes. Okay, everyone, shut the 
fuck up. Who do you think it's the could Japanese be? covers? Oh, okay, okay, okay. I've sent you a link to visual the... media on the podcast. Oh my god! If you've not, oh, the Polish covers are so good too. Okay, but you guys need to click that link, scroll to the bottom, don't read anything, and just click the Japanese covers. The Japanese cover is an anime boy, and behind him is an is a a nor a tapestry of the Norman Conquest. It looks like. <laughs> Oh, wow. His head is so and the small. Second, the second one is Moonspawn, and that is not how I imagine Moonspawn. And not again, it looks pretty good. It's but very I cool. Who, I don't know who that boy the, or... The third gr- one is definitely Whiskey Jack, because it's The third grizzled. one's definitely Whiskey Jack. The second... The first one's probably... I would guess Crocus because he's not guys, in armor, and I would say the second one is Parrot. Guys, this is radio poison. Uh, AJ, guys, if you, our, AJ, our producer, how's this for the radio? Is this guys, uh, Yeah, the, the, the moral of the story is please go look at these covers and then click one tab over to the Polish ones because they are badass. <laughs> Holy also, shit. Also, like, Felicin here as an, as an anime girl is like... She seems to be having too good of a time for that book. I don't know if they read the book. Felicin <laughs> oh. is not chilling out and having a good time. Are you looking at the second Gates? book now? I didn't think it would let me go to Dead House Gates. I'm just saying, Dead like, she is notably having a bad time in that book. Wait, which you know? ones are we looking at? Here, I just linked it to you guys. <laughs> Fucking Christ. Oh, wow, yeah. Which that's, one? That's Daenerys. Why does she have dragons? That's Daenerys. <laughs> it is just they did Daenerys. Oh, she is and in I, chains. I, and um, then who's the who, who's the who next number picture? two? Is it Quick Ben or is it? Maybe it's Quick Ben, but that's a weird choice for Dead House Gates. But why He's... is there a bat? Is it Diker? Maybe it's Kalam. <laughs> oh, it is Kalam because he has the Book of Drajna. I think Book Three is D- Diker, although he looks full Jesus there. I'm scared <laughs> of these. Wait, do, wait, why would Diker be in Book Three though? I don't know. There's the what? he's at the he's at the butterfly battle. I forget the name of that. Why do one. they all say Dead House Gates? But book three is Memories of Ice, dude. No, but that it's but Dead House Gates is split into two the oh, uh, four I editions. See now, God, that's cool. Okay, that is definitely do occur. And the fourth one is, I guess, Crocus. Maybe I think it's Crocus. I think it's Crocus in the Azath. They only translated the first two books in Japan. Guys, this is so cool. Those I are incredible. All right, should we stop anyway, recording? Should we, we say should, goodbye yeah. and stop recording? AJ, how much of this audio do you think you're going to keep in the show? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> there might be links I, in the description to all of these wild covers. AJ, AJ so do you good. want me to just plug it and we can put it after the credits if you want? No, that's fine. This is this is the podcast. This is the this is podcasting. Yeah. Okay. This is um, what the people want. Well, listen, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the start of Bone Hunters. I'm pretty stoked to read book six. We're all here, and it had our least contentious episode of all time. In fact, we're only friends here, and we've never disagreed with each other, um, except about the colonialism thing. And sh- the end. And the end. And Josh and AJ, I'm watching you. Stand by. Um, so, um, compassion. Let a friend, know about the show. Compassion. Ten very big books. Twitter, Gmail. Yada 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 yada. Rate review. Yada 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 yada. Okay, I say come. You say passion. Come. Passion. See you. 
Hello, everybody. Producer AJ here with the windows open, drinking a little iced coffee. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of season six of the podcast. We are all really excited uh, to be reading The Bone Hunters, and we are enjoying working our way through it. If you'd like to give us your thoughts or feelings about this or any of our episodes, you can always email us 10verybigbooks at gmail.com, or you can head on over to our Discord, bit.ly slash VBB Discord. That's capital V, capital B, capital B, capital D. Discord. That link will also be in the show notes. You can also head to our Twitter, uh, also at 10 Very Big Books, if you'd like to contact us there. Of course, thank you to all of our wonderful patrons over on Patreon, including the one extremely generous patron from this month. You know who you are. We really, really appreciate your contribution, as well as all of the other contributions uh, from all of our patrons. If you'd like to pledge to our Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash 10 Very Big Books. That link will also be in the show notes. Also, in case you missed it, myself and the rest of the crew did a halfway Q&A stream on Twitch last week in honor of us being done Midnight Tides and starting The Bone Hunters. Uh, it was a really great time. Thank you to everyone who came. But if you missed it, you can watch the archive stream on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash 10verybigbooks. Uh, hopefully, we'll be doing some more of these in the future. So keep your eyes on our Twitter and the Discord for that. And as always, thank you so very much to Dan Gesserick for making our spectacular logo. You can follow him on Twitter at A underscore W underscore Dan G, where he's got a new handle. And of course, the wonderful music in today's episode is by the one and only Amaranthan from their album Simulant Rain, which you can find along with their other music on Bandcamp.com. Links to their pages will be in the show notes and 10 very big books. We'll be back in two weeks on April 23rd, where we'll be discussing the Bone Hunters chapters 4, 5, and 6. I'll talk to you then, and thank you so much for listening. Listening.